You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Before we begin this morning, I want to remind you about something that we're doing here and that we're trying to encourage uh, one another to do as as a body, as a church family, and extend this to anyone who is watching, is to pray. At 10.31 a.m. and p.m., if you're still up, this is our 10.31 challenge. We're calling it Pray It Away, and we're inviting people to pray, to pray that uh, the Lord would have favor on us and, and, and rid this country and the world of this virus. And so maybe you would uh, make a, a small cross. You can make it on a piece of paper. You can make it with two sticks. You can make it with two straws. <laughs> Get creative with your kids. And then place this cross somewhere in your home. And take the Psalm, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3, and print those out or write those, those verses out. And during this season of time, we ask that uh, we forget not the Lord's benefits and that as we pray and He cleanses us of our iniquities, that He'll rid us of this disease. And so would you do that, 1031. This is going to join us and bind us together as a, as a, as a body of people. And so even though we can't be together physically at 1031 in the morning and at night, it can be a time where you know that your other brothers and sisters are praying just like you. Turning your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Note the chapter, chapter 6. We're going to end up in chapter 1, but I want to start in chapter 6. As you're turning there, I want to let you know we're introducing, as you just saw the video, a new series today. We're calling it A Life Worth Living. It's a study that comes from the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, I would say this morning, without question, almost anyone you would ask this question, do you want your life to have meaning and purpose? Do you want your life to have worth? I think the majority of people would say yes. I want my life to mean something and to have worth. Certainly in our day and time with all that's going on with the the virus, where we're all (laughs) kind of shrink-wrapped now in our own little confined areas. We're all seeing very poignantly what's really important in life. Are Are you seeing what's really important in life? Boy, I am. I am. We want to live a life worth living. And so were the people living in Corinth in the first century. One of the key passages in this letter to the Corinthians, this first letter, comes from chapter 6. And you've made your way there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and and I want us to see it together because this really sets the backdrop for the whole purpose of the writing of this book. You've made your way there, 1 Corinthians 6, jump down to verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now here comes this key verse. And such were, past tense, some of you. The Apostle Paul is saying, such were some of you Corinthians. 
But you've been delivered from these lifestyles. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As you're turning, I'll tell you this, church family, those of you who are watching via Mount Pleasant anywhere today, over the next several weeks we're going to see how the Word of God is going to address the people of Corinth to help them understand how to live the Christian life, how to have the life worth living. You see, the Corinthians were living in a very, very pagan culture. The city of Corinth was a colonized city of Rome. Rome was wicked. And these colonized cities, they tried to mimic Rome. Corinth was struggling under the weight of great sin. A city where so many different ideas and people and things came in and out of that city. In fact, in that day, in the first century, if someone called you a Corinthian, they were cussing you. To be called a Corinthian was a very, very low thing. Corinthians were those who struggled with paganness. The Corinthians, in our vernacular, struggled mightily with sin. How about you today? Are you struggling to cope? A lot of people during this season of time now, they're, they're turning to drugs and alcohol, they're turning to pornography, they're turning to anger and rage. Don't do that. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. This is the idea presented here in 1 Corinthians. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you've fallen back into some sort of way of thinking or living that you were delivered from. But you find yourself falling back into that. Maybe you're like some of the Corinthians in the first century. There were those after the Apostle Paul planted this church that had given their life to Christ and, and some it seems were kind of falling back in that old lifestyle. They were under such, such relentless pressure to conform to the corruptness of the culture. And boy, we feel that, don't we? Such a corrupt culture. But you know what? God is using this season of time right now to draw people back to Himself. Everything has come to a standstill so that God can laser focus our lives on what's important? Are you living a life worth living? So many Christians, unfortunately, are not living up to the level that God has for them. So many Christians, unfortunately, live beneath their identity. So what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm just saying there's a, there's a lot of Christians that forget who they are. Don't forget who you are. You're a child of God. You're royalty. We're to live at that, at that level. We're not to fall back to our past sin. 
we have the opportunity to live a life of grace. You see, Satan seeks to tangle us up. Of course, Satan wants to use this season of time too, you know. He wants us to get us to turn inward. He wants us to even turn on those that we love, and he wants to spin a web to tangle us up, to trip us up. That's not what we're here for. We're here to follow Christ. Now, I want you to see this. You've made your way to 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. You follow along as we read. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. You say, who is Sosthenes? He's a scribe. He's writing down what the Apostle Paul is telling him to write. In fact, remember now, when we're reading Scripture, we're, we're, we're reading the Word of God. So, this is God's Word. He, it's theonoustos. It's God breathed. So, God is breathing into the Apostle Paul the things that he wants us to know. And then Paul is telling Sosthenes, and Sosthenes is writing it down. Verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you saw that word grace. Here it comes again. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you by Christ Jesus that in every way you are enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, verse 7, so that you are not lacking, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the coronavirus to be over. No, we want that too. But as we wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we all want this virus to end, don't we, and get back to normal? And I was thinking about it this week. Do I want the Lord Jesus? Do I, do I, do I long for His return like I want the virus to end? That, that we long and we await for His return? Verse 8, it is the Lord Jesus who will sustain you to the end. That's now. And to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 16, and we'll eventually get there weeks from now, we know that Paul wrote this first letter to the Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. And that would have been somewhere around 54, 55 A.D. I want you to see this map. We've been showing you this map. I want you to locate Corinth just to the, right there in the middle. See it? Just to the left of Ephesus. Paul wrote this at the end of his three-year ministry in Ephesus, which was really the end of his third missionary journey. Paul had been informed, and we'll see this next week in verse 11, by a young lady named Chloe. In fact, it says, Chloe's people tell me of the problems you guys are having. And so Paul, tasked with this information that he's learned, writes this letter. And he addresses 
these many problems they're having in this letter, and we're going to see these over the weeks to come. But the first thing that he addresses is their position in Christ. That they had been delivered from sin. Such were some of you now live for Christ because you are saints. Look at it again. 1 Corinthians 1, look at verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You say, I'm no saint. Yes, you are. If you're saved, you're a saint. If you've called on the Lord Jesus and received Him by faith in your life, repenting of your sins, you're a saint. Now, I'm like you. I don't feel like a saint. But the Scripture describes us as a saint. So often we think of saints as these people memorialized in stained glass in our churches. But biblically speaking, a saint is simply a follower of Christ. In fact, did you know the word Christian means little Christ? Did you know that? So if you claim to be a Christian, I claim to be a Christian, I'm claiming to be a little Christ. Whew. That's heavy. Little Christs. That's what it means in verse 2 to be sanctified, to be set apart, to, to live and act like Jesus. Y'all been going to the grocery store? Yeah, looking for that toilet paper. And when you get home, what do you do with the groceries? You say you put them up, right? So the cold stuff goes where? Freezer or refrigerator? You separate them out, right? The canned goods, what, you got a pantry or some cabinet you put the soup in? You got a place for the crackers, right? So you separate it out. Jesus set us apart. To not be like the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. He set us apart to sanctify us so that we could act like Him. Next time you separate the groceries, think about that. Jesus is saying, act like me. Church family, you and I should never do anything that He would not do. Would Jesus ever lie? No. Nor should we. Did you hear that? Would Jesus ever steal? No. Nor should we. Would Jesus ever commit adultery? You say, that's blasphemy. I get it. Absolutely not. He would never do that. Nor should we. And yet Jesus said, if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your own heart. Church family, we are little Christs. That is our spiritual identity. That is to be our foundation. And that is the essence of the life worth living. A life of grace. Church, we cannot live this life in our own strength. We must live it in grace. Watch this again in verse 3. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of what? 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 The grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. So church, where did grace come from? Did we have to dig it up? Do we have to buy it? Do we earn grace? No. It's a gift. 
It's a gift. And get this, the grace of God, this is so beautiful. It covers past, present, and future sin for the believer. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Grace is a gift. It's a gift. You can't earn it. In fact, the verb given that was used there in verse 4 is in the aorist tense. That's spelled A-O-R-I-S-T. It's the aorist tense in the Greek, which means a specific point in time. What does that mean? It means you receive the grace of God at the very specific point in time that you received Christ and were saved. The moment that you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... You receive grace. And church, that's why we can sing that song, Goodness of God. Did you sing that this morning? All my life, you have been faithful. He has, even now. All my life, you've been oh so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. You see, the grace of God makes life worth living. We've got to grasp that today. It was the grace of God that was sufficient to help Paul when Paul prayed three times for his thorn in the flesh to be removed. And what did the Lord Jesus tell him? He said, no, Paul, I'm not going to remove it, but my what? What? Grace is sufficient. Grace is the foundation of the life worth living. It's the foundation of our identity. And yet for many Christians, this is the part that they don't seem to fully understand. You say, what are you talking about? What do you mean, what do you mean they don't understand? What do you, maybe you don't understand. You, you, you say, I understand grace is good. I understand grace is good. I, I, I know that. But I want you to understand how good grace really is. Because I believe many are trying to use grace incorrectly today. So many Christians try to use the grace of God in absolutely the wrong way, and they use it really as a license to sin. They claim God's grace, and they uh, sleep with their girlfriend. They cheat on the test, and they lie to their employer. And they say, well, all I got to do is ask for forgiveness, and it's all forgiven. Hmm. Folks, let me tell you something. 1 John 1, 9 is true. If we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's not true confession if in your heart and mind all you're trying to do is get rid of the guilt and you know in your heart you're ready to do it again when the opportunity presents itself. You have not actually asked in true confession. Would you examine your life right now? Is there anything in your life that has dominance that you feel like I can't control that in my life that has power over me listen if you name the name of Christ you have living within you the Holy Spirit who has given you the grace to overcome that not live in it. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is not that we can continue to sin, God forbid, Romans 6 says, and get away with it, but it's the grace that helps us to overcome it. That's the goodness of God. I love the line in the song that we sang first this morning. 
In fact, I love that whole song. You know that song, Holy Water? It's by We the Kingdom. And I want you to see the lyrics. Because, because We the Kingdom really placed within the lyrics of their song the process of salvation that leads us to the desire to live for Jesus and not to, did you catch that line, abuse the grace of God, but rather live in its power. Now watch this. Here, here come the lyrics, holy water. Watch this. Dead man walking, slave to sin. Get it? I want to know about being born again. I need you. Oh God, I need you. Watch it now. Here comes the next line. So take me to the riverside. Take me under. Baptize. I need you. Oh God, I need you. Your forgiveness, here comes salvation now, is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. Like the sound of a symphony to my ears. Like holy water on my skin. On my skin. Now watch this next line. I don't want to abuse your grace. Did you catch it? God, I need it every day. It's the only thing, get it, that ever really makes me want to change. Grace. Folks, that song describes the life worth living. And folks, never forget what God's grace cost Jesus. Take a look. I've shared that little acrostic with you several times. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace, folks. God is a God of equity. God is a God of justice. And God is holy. There are angels around his throne right now from the moment that they were created by God have not stopped saying holy, holy, holy. You see, God can't just look at sin and say, eh, I love them, so we'll just forget it. No, because of justice, because of his equity, because of his holiness, sin had to be dealt with. So God sent his son to pay for it. And Jesus became my substitute. Why? Because he was perfect. He was able to pay the price. He could pay for my sin. He could pay for your sin by the shedding of His perfect blood as payment. You see, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's God's requirement. Somebody has to pay the debt, and I couldn't pay my debt. Nor can you. Some of you have stumbled across this today. You just somehow got here. Somebody sent you the link. And you're watching this. Jesus paid your debt on the cross. Jesus was perfect, and that meant he could meet the righteous requirements of God. And when he did, thanks be to God, God could then extend grace to us, to sinners, because the price had been paid. That old song said, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson, you know, that's red stain. But he washed it white as snow. 
I want you to see this man. This is a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who stood up to Hitler. He stood up to the Nazi rule during World War II. He was a faithful man, but eventually he was hanged by the Gestapo, Hitler's gang of thugs. I want to show you what Bonhoeffer said about grace, because he broke down grace into two categories, and I think it still applies today. Cheap grace versus costly grace. All right, you ready? Watch this quote. This comes from his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Here it goes. Ready? Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. Costly grace is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. Watch it now. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. End of quote. That's beautiful. Turning your Bibles with you, I want to show you something. Romans chapter 3. I want you to see something with me. Go to Romans chapter 3. Church, this is going to get kind of deep, and so I need you to think hard with me. All right, you ready? You're turning to chapter 3 of Romans, but I want you to get this. Grace can only operate where there's sin. Did you catch that? Grace can only operate where there's sin. Right? I mean, think of it. If there's no sin... There's no grace. There's got to be something to forgive or grace isn't necessary. You made your way there. Romans 3 verse 23. You know Romans 3 23, don't you? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We got a problem. But watch this. We are justified. What does that mean? Just as if I'd never sinned by His grace. And what is grace? A gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. What does that mean? A payment by His blood to be received by faith. That's how we receive Christ. Some of you watching today, you can call on Jesus right now and receive Him by faith, confessing your sins. Watch this. This was to show God's righteousness. It's because He's holy. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You say, I don't understand that last part. Let me tell you what that means. Because God is just and good, he had to judge sin. And I want to tell you how he judged sin. He put it on his son. See it again? This is what it cost Jesus. That is the judgment of sin. And folks, that's not cheap grace. That's costly grace. Now church, something's getting ready to happen. Look at your phone, look at your watch, look at whatever. What time do you have? Mine says 10.30. 
So in just a few seconds, it's going to be 1031. And we're going to pray. I told you we're going to pray. You say, why 1031? Because it's Psalm 103, verse 1. And it describes how we ask God to show us His mercy during this time. So I have on my phone a timer set. And I hope that you'll set a timer. And, and on my phone, it's getting ready to go off because it's going to be 1031. There it is. The alarm is going off. Will you pray? Will you pray this week? Will you pray at 1031 at night or in the morning and 1031 at night? You say it's silly. What else have you got to do? You know, I guess you sit on Facebook and find colors that's in our, our camera scroll. Nothing wrong with that. But if we can pick a color and a photo in our camera scroll, surely we can pray. So I'm going to pray again. Father, it's 1031, and I'm reminded of Psalm 103, verse 1 through 3. We're to forget not your benefits. Father, I pray right now that you will heal our iniquities and our disease. The greatest disease we have is sin. Father, I pray right now for our health care workers. I pray for those who are working in the hospitals right now. They're underneath all that PPE, that, 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 those masks and hot gowns, and they're sweating through it, and they're tired, and they're worn out. All the health care workers that are in New York and throughout all the cities, Lord, in our country and around the world, those working in the Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital right up there in Central Park in New York, serving as volunteers in the name of God, all these nurses and doctors that are flooding into the towns that have been retired and they've come out of retirement and thrown the stethoscope back around their neck. God, I pray that you'll be with them in a powerful way. I pray for our firemen and women and our policemen and women and all those that have to work and that are on the front lines. I pray for the truck drivers delivering groceries. I pray for the boys and, and young ladies stocking shelves in grocery stores and men and women who run checkout lines so that we can still have food to eat. Father, I thank you for those that are running restaurant drive through windows. God, I pray for their protection. God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would take this away. Take it away. Take it away. Oh, Lord, please have favor on us as a country, as a nation, as a people. Father, I thank you. I thank you. And we will forget not all your benefits during this season of time. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, how hard was that? A couple of minutes. Thanks be to God. The Corinthian church was living in a pagan culture, and we do today. The Corinthians, it, it seems, were trying to justify sin. We're going to come to that, particularly as we get to chapter 5, and it gets really kind of gross. It's almost like they had forgotten their position in Christ, their identity. This is so rich, church. I hope we can get this. Grace is undeserved. Grace is unmerited. It is truly the kindness of God, and it's free. And church, because it's free, and you and I can't earn it, we're not to live like we're trying to get it. You know what I have found? I have found a lot of people are trying to live the Christian life in their own strength, in their own power, and they live a life of guilt 
Is that you today? Guilt. Some people are eaten up with guilt. Please listen. Maybe someone who's watching today, you're just about to collapse under the weight of your sin. You can't believe you've been doing what you're doing. Surrender. You say, I don't understand. I, it, it's so simple. You, look, I've got a handkerchief in my hand. This is the sin. Let go of it. Surrender your life to Christ. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you need to surrender. You know, we've had to surrender a lot lately, haven't we? Huh? Where are you right now? At home. We got these stay-at-home orders. So we've surrendered to our leaders, right? And we're, and we're doing it, and, and, it's, and it's winning. I really believe it's winning. I, I, I really believe in the next week or two, we're going to see this thing crest. I really believe that. that you say, that's hopeful, wishful thinking. That's, well, I'm, I'm praying in faith. But, but nonetheless, whatever you might believe about this, this is what I do know. When you and I trust Jesus and surrender Him to Him, everything in our lives, He gives us grace to be able to live above any circumstance or situation. Some of you have gotten bad news this week. Some of you have been laid off. Some of you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from. And you're waiting for the government check, and, you're, and that's fine. And, and you're filing for unemployment, and that's fine. Let me tell you something. All of that's well and good, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus Christ is still on the throne, and He owns everything. It's all His. And it is not hard for God to maneuver resources into our lives. Listen, church family, do you have a need? Let us know. I mean, I, I'm not able to get to everybody right now physically. We're not here. Or a lot of times people, you'll tell me what's going on. I'm walking around and you'll tell me what's going to need. So, so you're going to have to reach out to me. Send me a text, send me an email, message me, whatever. One of our pastors, one of our staff, we're here for you. Don't go this alone. We're constantly trying to reach out. Our deacons are reaching out. and The Lord will sustain us through this. You see, Paul had to remind the Corinthians who they were. Watch this again. Watch this passage again. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. Don't turn there. Just watch it again. See? And that is what some of you were. He's saying, look, some of you have gone back to the way you were living, but don't do that because you were washed, were, past tense. You were sanctified. You were set apart. That's, that's what that means. You separated the groceries. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I have the right to do anything. Yes, go on. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Are you being mastered by anything today? You're not living in grace. I'm so thankful for the costly grace of God, and I'm not going to abuse it. Like holy water says, I'm not going to abuse it. Are you? When Jesus died on the cross, He took and He crushed our sins so that we would not have to live in our sin. No, we don't live in sin and justify it. Because of our position in Christ and because of the grace of God, we live above sin. 
Listen to me today. If you're watching today and you're not a Christian, oh, come to Jesus. Just You say, how? Confess your sins. Confess them. Like this handkerchief, okay? Confess. You know, we're all, you know, they're wanting us to make face masks now. And so they say you can actually do this. You can turn this thing, put a couple rubber bands on it, on the ends, stick the rubber bands on your ears, you know? So, so when, you think of, when you think of that mask, okay, that, that face scar. By the way, don't go out and buy a mask. If you've got a mask, give them to the healthcare workers. Make a mask out of, I mean, it's on the, the government website. I mean, make a mask out of cloth. Now, don't use cheap cloth. They say it needs to be really dense stuff. Okay, cheap cloth, it, it, the, 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 the vapor can still get in. But listen, as long as you're keeping a six-foot distance between one another, you don't need a mask. It's just if you're going to be closer than six foot or you're going to go into a public place, if you're going into a grocery store, you've got to think about that. Okay? We are, listen, I believe this. We are this close. I really believe this. We are this close. Over the next week to ten days, I believe we can beat this thing. And so, so, so but think of the mask this way. Th think of the facial covering this way. It separates us from that which is harmful. And that's what the grace of God does. Go back with me to verse 6. Go, go back there real quick. Go back to it now. 1 Corinthians 1, 6. Watch this. Watch this. Turn back there. I'll give you a second to turn there. Do you know that Jesus wants us to live for Him? You go, yeah, right. Yeah, but some of you have forgotten that. You're living for yourself. I mean, let's just be honest. You're living for yourself. It's so easy to get selfish during this season of time. Live for Jesus. Watch this now. 1 Corinthians 1, 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. You say, well, what, what do you want to talk about? I want to talk about that word. See it there? Testimony. That word testimony is marturion. Guess which English word we get from marturion? Yeah, martyr. You say, Jesus wants me to live like a martyr? Yes! He wants us to die to ourselves. That's what he said. Take up your cross. That means death and follow me. That's Acts 1.8. You say Acts 1.8. Yeah, I want to show you Acts 1.8. Watch Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That's another word for somebody who's a testifier, right? That's the same Greek word, marturion. You will be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Our vernacular, that'd be Wilkesboro, North Carolina, the United States, and to the ends of the earth, the world. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Last place I'll have you turn. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I've seen a lot of churches put 2 Timothy 1-7 on their church signs lately, and it's really good. The Apostle Paul wrote his last letter while he was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Eventually he'd be killed. And these words are so applicable today. Now, now watch this. If anyone could be afraid, it would be Paul, because he literally was waiting, awaiting death. But watch verse 7, 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God gave us a spirit not of what? Fear. But of power and love and self-control. Some, some versions say sound mind. 
Therefore do not be ashamed of the, there it is, the martyrion about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to what? A holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We can't earn any of this now and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher. He has called us to be His witnesses. Folks, I said it last week and I said it three weeks ago, and I'll say it as long as the Lord keeps telling me to say it. We have got to open our mouths for Jesus. When, if you're going to be a witness and you walk into a courtroom, they won't just let you sit there in the witness stand. You've got to open your mouth. So many Christians are so afraid to open their mouth and witness for Jesus, and yet he said, you're to be my witness. You're to be my, mar my marturion. You're to be my martyr. And for some of you, it kills you to open your mouth for Jesus. That's okay. The more you do it, the better you get at it. It's like practicing your jump shot. Look back at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 4. You say, I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I'm going to mess it up if I try to share about Jesus. That's a lie. Watch verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. You say, we've already read that. Now watch verse 5. That in every way you are enriched in Him in all your speech and all knowledge. So what does that mean? It means He's enriched you by His grace so you and I can open our mouths and He gives us the knowledge to be able to share a witness. It's your story. Only you can share your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Open your mouth. Or today, send a text. Or a message. There are people in your life that you know right now aren't saved. Man, this whole coronavirus deal, I'm telling you, it's sharpened the focus. Send them a message. Use the coronavirus as an excuse. Write them a letter. We're to be his witnesses. He said, Pastor, I still don't know that I can do this. Okay, let me remind you. 1 Corinthians 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Watch it. We just read this. But you will receive what? Watch it. You will receive what? Say it out loud in your living room. You will receive what? Kids, say it out loud. Help me now. But you will receive, let me hear you, power. You have living inside of you because of the Holy Spirit, the power of God to open your mouth, to do extraordinary things that only God can do through you, that only He can do. Because He's given you the power through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the words. He will not leave your mind blank. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Listen, you have a message, you have a testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. It's an amazing story. Tell it. Because you're the only one who can. You see, I think we undersell what we can do, church. 
we forget we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Next week we're going to celebrate Easter. How did Jesus get up from the dead? You know what the Bible says? The power of the Holy Spirit. What? What? The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And when you by faith called on the name of Jesus, and because of His grace received Him, you received the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. You. Don't let Satan convince you and undersell you of the power that you have to live the life worth living. It's by grace. You say, I don't know, Pastor. Look at verse 7 and we're done. You, you, you still may be wondering. This will seal the deal. Verse 7, 1 Corinthians 1, so that you are not what? Lacking. In what? any gift. You'll have what you need as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God knew when He breathed this word into the Apostle Paul and then Sosthenes wrote it down that we would be living April 5th, 2020 during the coronavirus. And we can know that you will not be lacking in any gift as you and I wait, not just for the coronavirus to be over, but for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is on the throne. It's the goodness of God. Folks, we've got everything we need to live the life worth living. Why? Because we're saints. Little Christs, separated, set apart like the cold items and the canned good items in your groceries so that we can live the life worth living. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.